Good morning, and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. If you're ever in Uptown Columbus, we invite you to stop by and say hello. We'd love to see you, have you worship with us. We'll make you feel like family. At First Presbyterian, we are family. Learning together, growing together, worshiping together. invite all those who are able to stand for the reading of the Word of God, which comes to us today through the power of the Spirit from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, which we just heard about uh, a few moments ago. Chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. Let us attend now to the wisdom of the Word of God. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And it's for this reason I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know Him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance among the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power for us who believe, according to the working of His great power. God put this power to work in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're turning now to uh, our second lesson in the Acts of the Apostles as we continue a sermon series entitled Louder Than Words, Actions Speak Louder Than Words. All who are able are invited to stand as we hear God's Word from the 20th chapter, beginning at the 17th verse. This is Paul's last recorded sermon in the Acts of the Apostles. Listen to God's Word. From Miletus, Paul sent a message to Ephesus, asking the elders of the church to meet him. When they came to him, He said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the entire time from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears, enduring the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews. I did not shrink from doing anything helpful, proclaiming the message to you and teaching you publicly and from house to house, as I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now as a captive to the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and persecutions are waiting for me. But I do not count my life of any value to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the good news of God's grace. 
And now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will ever see my face again. Therefore, I declare to you this day that I am not responsible for the blood of any of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Keep watch over yourselves and over all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God that He obtained with the blood of His own Son. I know that after I have gone, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Some, even from your own group, will come distorting the truth in order to entice the disciples to follow them. Therefore, be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to warn everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the message of His grace, a message that is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all who are sanctified. I covet no one's silver or gold or clothing. You know for yourselves that I worked with my own hands to support myself and my companions. In all this, I have given you an example by which such work must support the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus, for He Himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with them all and prayed. There was much weeping among them all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, grieving especially because of what he had said, that they would not see him again. Then they brought him to the ship. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Blood, sweat, and tears. I would commend to you that every relationship will involve these three Blood, sweat, and tears. Relationships are what make up the essence of our lives. I want us to talk about relationships a little bit this morning and look at the key points that Paul hits in his farewell sermon to the elders of the church of Ephesus, his last recorded sermon in the book of Acts, and then see if we could apply it to our own selves, our own relationships, our own context as we struggle blood, sweat, and tears. I was told it was an old story. As a matter of fact, the person sitting behind me in the Presbyterian meeting when the story was being told said, this is an old one. It was new to me, so I'm going to share it with you. If you've heard it, indulge me. If not, I hope you find some enjoyment. It's a story about a young man who had worked several years very hard to purchase the car of his dreams, to achieve that place that he had set for himself in life. And so the day came, he purchased a fast, sleek, red sports car, and he drove it proudly into town, parked it carefully against the curb so that he could show it off to all of his friends, and they too would know that he had arrived in life. But as he opened his door, exiting the vehicle, a truck passed by quickly and too close and ripped the door off of the vehicle. The young man jumped out, and he was irate, screaming at the passing driver and calling for help. 
a police officer was nearby and came to his aid. And as he was going on and on, the, the officer calmed him down and said, you young people are so self-centered. All you care about is your material goods. You think about nothing but yourselves and what you can accumulate. Look at you, young man. Haven't you realized not only was the door ripped from your car, but you're missing your left arm? And the young man looked down to where his left arm had been, and he exclaimed, My Rolex! It's a funny story. It's a sad story. It may be a true story. Maybe an old story. But maybe things are changing. Maybe there is a shift in the culture. And maybe it is that we are entering a time in the life of our country and our world where things do not matter so much as they once did. Have you heard about the movement called the minimalists? Those who are seeking not to accumulate things in their life, but to reduce the clutter, the accumulated material things in their life. You can Google the minimalists. There's a, a blog called The Minimalists. It's an interesting concept. I'm hearing more and more about it in the news. See if the mention of it today doesn't perk your ears and see if you do not begin to hear about it. The minimalists are basically younger people who are not waiting for that day when they enter into the retirement home or the CCRC to downsize and jettison from their lives all that they have accumulated through the years to get rid of the clothes, the trinkets, the furniture, and the stuff, but they're starting to do it now. I was listening to a TED talk given by a couple of minimalists, and the young man was speaking about almost coveting the freedom and the joy that he saw in one of his friends and how he had obtained it. He said, I want that. He said, well, you can get it. He said, get rid of some of your stuff. He said, how do I do it? He said, you have a packing party. And so that's what this man did. They had a packing party. And they boxed up all of his items, wrapped up all of his furniture, as if he were truly moving from the place where he was residing. And then over the next two weeks, he could only unpack the boxes that contained the things that he needed, that he must have, not that he wanted to have. And he found himself after that time with a toothbrush far less clothes than he originally had in his closet, and just the essence of the furniture that he needed and a few small appliances and a whole lot of boxes and other things to get rid of or to sell. And he found some freedom in his life. And he found that he started paying attention not, not so much to the things in his life and accumulating more, but he started paying attention to people and started understanding what it means to live in community with others. Minimalism. On Wednesday nights for the, these past four weeks and now for the next two Wednesdays, so it's not too late to jump in on this study, 
that has been going on in the fellowship hall following the Wednesday night family suppers, Lisa Powers and I have been leading a study by a pastor named John Ortberg. The study is entitled, It All Goes Back in the Box. The preface to that is when the game is over, when life is finished, all of the stuff we've accumulated goes back in the box. It's a study about living in the light of eternity and coming to grips with the finitude that exists in our physical life. It's really a, a class to help us come to grips with the fact that one day we're going to die and how are we going to live and what are going to be the priorities between this day that God has given to us and the last day that God gives us on this earthly journey. Really, it's a, it's a course about, if you boil it right down, about relationships. Because that is the essence of life. Relationships. Our relationship with the living God who created, redeemed, and sustains us, and our relationship with our brothers and sisters that God has given to us in this good life. John Ortberg, in the study a couple of weeks ago, shared an exercise that he saw used in a presentation that he attended. And the presenter said, take two sets of post-it notes. And he actually did this on the stage. He said, write on one of the sets of post-it notes the word temporary. And he began to go around and place the post-it note saying temporary on the things on the stage, the clothes, the jewelry, the trinkets, the furniture, a car. All of these things are temporary. And then he said, by the same token, try another discipline of taking another set of post-it notes and write on it eternal. And put those post-it notes on. He's a little more eternal than Jones. He's younger. And put it on the people in your life. What is temporary and what is eternal in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says, and these words came to me when I saw Ortberg's presentation, Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What are you investing in? Is it temporary? Or is it eternal? Because if we know anything about heaven, we know speculation about streets of gold and gates of pearl and all of that. But if we do know anything about heaven for certain is that Jesus is there and that those who have gone before us by God's grace are there. There are people in heaven. And so when we invest in people on earth, it is really an investment in those relationships that we will enjoy in heaven with our heavenly Father. What are you investing in? Where is your treasure? Who is your treasure? Shirley Guthrie, one of my theology professors at Columbia Seminary, used to say this about the Bible. Shirley Guthrie said, the Bible is a story of God's faithfulness. 
It's that simple. And we can see the thread of God's faithfulness pulled through every verse of Scripture because God is faithful despite our unfaithfulness. It's a beautiful story. I would say that the Bible is also a story about relationships. Relationships between a faithful God and God's people. A story about relationships between real live people who share life together. And the fact of the matter is, is that when we have real life, real live, fallible human beings in relationships, it's going to be challenging, it's going to be demanding, but it will also be rewarding. And we are only human beings when we are in relationship. It's, it's how we were created to be fully what God intended us to be. If we're not in relationship, if we're apart, if we're alone, if we're cutting ourselves off or being cut off, we are merely homo sapiens. But in relationship, we are human beings. And that is the fullness of what God desires for us. In the Bible, we see relationships, all kinds. Relationships that are broken. Relationships that are strained. Relationships that are deceitful, disappointing. Relationships that are repaired, relationships that are healed, relationships that are strong and deepening and growing and eternal. The Bible gives us a number of picture of relationships. I'm thinking about Cain and Abel, jealousy and competition and violence, and Joseph and his brothers peppered by the same kind of jealousy and competition and deceit. I'm thinking about Moses and Aaron and a complementary relationship, a team. I think of Jonathan and David and their, their deep love for each other. I, I'm thinking of David and his son Absalom and the conflicted nature of a relationship between a father and a son and a son who loses his life and a father who laments and grieves over that death as if it were his own or worse. I think of Jesus and his relationship with the disciples, the twelve that he chose to follow him, and the others that were part of that intimate circle. But then in Jesus' life, there were also the relationships with an inner circle of trusted friends. He needed to spend time even more face time with Peter, James, and John. I think of Paul and Silas and Barnabas and John Mark and Timothy and all the dynamics of the relationship in, in the church and those leaders of it. And this morning I'm thinking about Paul and his relationship with the elders of his beloved church that he founded upon Jesus Christ in Ephesus. And this morning we, we read that after Paul had spent, we think, maybe three years in Ephesus with those people, we come to this place where Paul has now finished his third missionary journey. And he is on his way back to Jerusalem. He is tracking to be back for Pentecost in Jerusalem, and he is on a tight time schedule. And this morning we read that Paul calls the elders of Ephesus to come to him at Miletus. And his farewell address that we read this morning is his last sermon in the book of Acts. And it's this, this sermon, this, this address, this, this coming together of the elders and Paul, it's full of emotions. He speaks of tears. He speaks of trials. 
He speaks of tribulations. He gives them words of encouragement, words of wisdom, words of instruction. And it's a, a scene that is so real and so tender. And Paul has called them to come to him because, as I said, he's on a tight time schedule. And, if, and Paul is on a ship, and, and, and he is coming through the Aegean Sea to make his way down around through, through what, is, what is Greece. And if you know anything about the Aegean Sea, it is packed with little islands and little fingers of land that stick out into it, these, these peninsulas. And, and Paul tells those who are navigating the ship, do not stop at Ephesus, but go on down further to Miletus. And so he saves by not stopping in Ephesus, a great deal of water travel where he would have to go in to a harbor of sorts, back out around that peninsula to continue his journey. So instead, he just goes one finger south to Miletus, and he sends word to the elders in Ephesus to come by land just 20 miles. So it was much easier for them to come by land to see Paul than Paul to stop to see them because of his itinerary. And so this is the setting for this farewell address and looking at what Paul shares with the elders, the leaders, that church, the shepherds of that flock, and maybe words to us in our relationships, our community as well. His words to them are filled first with humility. He said, I was among you in humility. And if there's any characteristic of our Lord that we, can, that, that we can exhibit in our own relationships, in our own calling, it's humility and not thinking of ourselves any higher or lower than we ought, but with a sober mind and sober judgment. Paul many times said, I'm the chief of sinners. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He puts Himself in a proper place of priority in his service to Jesus Christ, and it's one of humility. It's Paul who calls, recalls the, the, the nature of Christ, who Paul says was in the form of God, did not, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but Jesus emptied himself out and took on the form of a servant. And here Paul is trying to say, I desire to do the same among you. And it would do well for us to adopt a stance of humility. But not humility forsaking boldness, because Paul goes on to say, I was yet bold among you. For more than one place, even two places in this farewell address, Paul says to the elders at Ephesus, I did not shrink back from giving you the truth and the fullness of the gospel that is in Jesus Christ. I told it like it was. I spoke the truth in love to you. And Paul says the message that I gave you was clear. It was repentance. Repentance of sin to have the knowledge of the grace of Jesus Christ and to grow in our faith in Him. Paul, in his letter that he later writes from prison in Rome to the elders, to the church at Ephesus, reminds them in Jesus Christ, you were chosen, you were adopted, and you have freely received His grace. This is not your own idea, but this is God's gracious gift to you. This is the essence of the gospel. Receive it with gratitude. 
and show that gratitude in your life. Paul also says to the elders at Ephesus, Ephesus, he says, I was not doing my will among you, but I was being prompted and led by the Holy Spirit. Not my will, but thy will be done, was Paul's mantra, like unto Jesus himself. And he is telling them now, it is, it is God's will. It is the will of the Spirit that is taking me to Jerusalem. And Paul has set his face to go to Jerusalem, come what may. Persecutions, imprisonment, maybe even death, he did not know. But he knew it wouldn't be easy. But he set his face to go to Jerusalem like one who also set his face to go to Jerusalem, even Jesus Christ, knowing that the cross awaited him there. Paul was beholden to and yielding to the Spirit's work in his life. And then Paul also says to the elders, as I leave you and may not see you again, let me implore you to keep watch over the flock of God. Because there are wolves that will come against you. There is evil that will impinge against the community. And not only from without will this attack come, But Paul even says, from within the community, beware of those who would want to divide you and press their agenda and diminish and destroy the flock. Be on your guard. Be a good shepherd. Do your work. And then Paul closes by saying, I did my work among you, I didn't just come to take and receive, but I worked right alongside you. And I did not covet anybody's gold or silver, but I gave from what my hands produced, following after what the Lord Jesus Himself said, that it is more blessed to give than to receive. A life of giving it away in material and spiritual gifts. And so, for us, as we hear these words of encouragement, instruction, and wisdom from Paul, what does it mean to us as a community of believers? What do we glean? Well, it means that we have challenging times as a community of faith. And yes, we have work to do discerning and following the will of God for us as a church. And it means we're going to sweat. That means that everybody's got to put some sweat equity into being the community of faith. It means, yes, we may shed tears together, but we can be authentic with our honest emotions in the context of community. As Paul said, he shed tears with them. But let us be clear, there will be no blood shed here. The blood has already been shed. It is the spilled blood of our Savior Jesus, a perfect offering of love and grace on a cross that covers us and binds us and cleanses us and empowers us. May we be that community of blood, of sweat, of tears. 
And so as we recommit ourselves as First Presbyterian to discerning and following the will of God, what does that mean for us this week? Well, for some of us, it may mean that we need to make room in our lives to get rid of some of the clutter that we have, that we have stored up. And some of the clutter not just in our homes or, or where we live, but the clutter on our calendars. We're so busy to make more room for each other and to make more room for Jesus. I've started doing this in my own life. I like to, I've got a, some stuff I can get rid of. And I started cleaning out a closet and it feels really good. I've got a lot of work yet to do, as Jeannie would attest. But I'm on the way, but I do have a confession to make. I was at Presbytery yesterday, and at the mealtime, they had a table full of books from the library of a deceased pastor, Bill Thurston. And I have a real weakness for books. And I had to confess to Jeannie, and I confess to you, that I came home from Presbytery with a box full of books. So God's still working on me as He's working on all of us as individuals and as a community as we seek to determine what it is that's temporary and what it is that's eternal. And as we do this together, may God bless us as individuals and as a church. And to glory be the head of the church, Jesus Christ, in all of our ways. Amen. 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 Amen.